My corset was white with silver buckles and had metal rods to keep my back from dissembling. I wore it for a year and was deeply humiliated. Only once did that corset give me any pleasure. I was with all the children on my street watching a ping-pong game in the garage of a neighbor. One of the players, an older boy, had perceived that I had interfered with one of his shots. This was untrue. He was losing badly and wanted someone to blame, and he started chasing me. I raced up my neighbor's driveway and across their lawn. I was wearing a heavy sweatshirt to cover the bulk of my corset, so my pursuer didn't know about my condition. He was right behind me, but even with the corset, I was able to scoot quickly. The other kids came running, too. The enraged boy was fat and had white blonde hair. He still held his paddle. He was going to try and smack me with it. He ran well despite his weight. Like in a dream where you can't run, my legs did begin to feel heavy, and I felt the nausea that comes before the inevitable submission to a beating. So when he caught up to me at the end of my neighbor's lawn, he hit me as hard as he could with his ping-pong paddle right in my lower back. It was going to be the first of several blows but I didn't feel a thing, and I heard a snapping of wood, and I turned around just in time to see the circular part of the paddle fly in the air like a frisbee and then land at the feet of the other children, our audience. The blonde boy had unwittingly smashed his little racket against my hidden metal rods, my secret armor, and it had severed the disc-like head, which in a strange act of physics had ricocheted dramatically upward and, as I said, come down to earth at the feet of our amazed peers. So my attacker stood there holding the handle of his decapitated paddle, and he was stunned, defeated. Everyone laughed at him. It was a moment of triumph. But that was the only victory my corset gave me. And in the middle of this time wearing my corrective garment, I had another problem. My left testicle ascended and wouldn't come down. I was taken to another doctor, and he told my mother that this wasn't uncommon in young boys and was usually a temporary condition. So luckily for me, he didn't recommend some kind of organ trust to pull the testicle down, which would have complemented my white waist cincture. But the doctor did say that if my testicle didn't return home by the time I started puberty, then surgery might be necessary and I was mature enough to know that surgery in the area of one's penis was not a desired event. I'm not sure why my testicle went into hiding, but, like my back problem, I think it was fear-related. I found the third grade to be very stressful academically. There was an enormous quota of dittos to be filled out each day, and three days a week, in the afternoons, I was starting to go to Hebrew school, so this overload of education had me quite nervous. My mother, a schoolteacher herself, expected me to be a perfect student, and I was terribly afraid that I couldn't be. In fact, I pleaded with her to let me drop out of everything. It was all too difficult. For the first few weeks of third grade, I cried every night and pounded my feet into my bed. But she wouldn't let me quit. How could she? and I started learning then that we spend most of our lives doing what we don't want to do. 
and so like a scared soldier in a bunker, whose testicles are known to elevate during heavy shelling, to protect them, and then they descend during peacetime, which accounts for post-war baby booms, my testicle elevated during this fearful period of my life. Why only one went up and not two is a mild flaw in my theory, but let me press on. So I was missing a testicle and wearing a corset. I was eight years old. Then my health on its own improved. By the time I was nine and a half, all my problems cleared up. The testicle ended its strike and returned to work, and the corset was banished to my underwear drawer, where it stayed for several years. A terrible sight, a terrible reminder. I began to play a lot of sports, and I excelled at soccer and tennis. I was quite happy for almost two years. I had nothing to worry about. But then when I was eleven, something unexpected occurred. My best friend started puberty. I saw him naked when we were changing to go swimming. I was shocked. His enlarged penis and thatch of pubic hair looked vulgar to my eyes, and yet I wanted the same thing to happen to me. I didn't say anything to him about his hairy penis. I pretended not to have noticed. But I was secretly hurt that he hadn't mentioned his transformation. It seemed like the kind of thing that a best friend should confide in you about. So I didn't really enjoy our afternoon swim. The whole thing had me feeling conflicted. And that evening, looking for parental counsel, I asked my mother when I would get hair and have a big penis. One day, she said, some fluid, not urine, will come out of your penis at night. And after that happens, you'll get pubic hair and your penis will get bigger. Some fluid, not urine. This was very mysterious. I thought it must be a once-in-a-lifetime secretion that marked one's passage into adulthood, something akin to a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly, which was the scientific equivalent I came up with. Back then, one was always seeing in school slow-motion films of such metamorphoses, so I was naive and unusually innocent. I never figured out until well after the fact. Thus, I waited for this unknown, unnamed fluid for the next four and a half years, while all the girls and boys around me began to change and grow. As a result, I developed an acute awareness and fascination for that surest and most visible sign of puberty, armpit hair. I was always noting with sad jealousy the armpit hairs of my peers in the gym locker room, and I was forever inspecting my own armpits in the mirror at home. I'd shine a flashlight on them, hoping to spot the most meager follicle, but my pits were barren. No hairs flourished. Then one time on the school bus in the spring of sixth grade, I saw a girl's lovely blonde armpit hairs when she grabbed hold of the pole near the driver. I was mesmerized, enchanted. My little penis turned immediately to stone. This girl was becoming a woman before my eyes. She had hair, beautiful gold-blonde armpit hair. It was glorious. I desired her, and I envied her, and I never forgot her. Fourteen years later, while visiting the Greek island of Santorini, 
I saw an attractive German woman's blonde armpit hair, and I was transported back in time, like Proust with his Madeleine, to that vision of blonde armpit hair on the school bus. And my reaction in Greece all those years later was exactly the same. I was enchanted, and my penis turned to stone. One summer, during my teenage years, when I was waiting for my Godotish puberty, I went away to a Jewish camp in upstate New York. I was in the Levi division. Levi was the name of one of the original Hebrew tribes before it became a pair of jeans, of newly christened teenagers, and to my horror I discovered that I was the only boy who still had a small, undeveloped penis and no pubic hair. So I had to hide myself the whole summer. I would quickly change my clothes with my back to my tentmates, and I only showered early in the morning when no one else was around. It was nerve-wracking. But one person did see my naked form, the head counselor of Levi, who was the best-looking counselor in the whole camp, with his curly blonde hair and perfect physique, and who decided one night that he should assist me in putting calamine lotion on my body for a very bad case of poison ivy I had contracted. To do this, he took me up to the shower room when no one was there. He had me stripped down to my underwear, and he began to coat me with the pink lotion. Then he inquired as to whether or not I had the rash in my groin area. I admitted that I did. So he knelt in front of me and began to pull down my underwear. I was extremely embarrassed, and before my secret tiny penis was revealed, I made an apology.